Chapter Five of Underground Man by Gabriel Taut, translated by Cloudsley Brereton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It does not fall within the scope of my rapid sketch to relate date by date the laborious vicissitudes of humanity since its settlement within the planet from the year one of the era of salvation to the year five ninety six, in which I write these lines in chalk on slabs of schist. I should only like to bring out for my contemporaries, who might very well fail to notice them, for we barely observe what we have always before our eyes, the distinctive and original features of this modern civilization of which we are so justly proud. Now that after many abortive trials and agonizing convulsions it has succeeded in taking its final shape, we can clearly establish its essential characteristics it consists in the complete elimination of living nature whether animal or vegetable man only excepted that has produced so to say a purification of society secluded thus from every influence of the natural milieu into which it was hitherto plunged and confined the social milieu was for the first time able to reveal and display its true virtues and the real social bond appeared in all its vigour and purity. It might be said that destiny had desired to make, in our case, an extended sociological experiment for its own edification by placing us in such extraordinarily unique conditions. Footnote. In appearance only, we must not forget that in accordance with all probability many extinct stars must have served as the scene of this normal and necessary phase of social life. End footnote. The problem, in a way, was to learn what would social man become if committed to his own keeping, yet left to himself, furnished with all the intellectual acquisitions accumulated through a remote past by human geniuses, but deprived of the assistance of all other living beings nay even of those beings half endowed with life that we call rivers and seas and stars and thrown back on the conquered yet passive forces of chemical inorganic and lifeless nature which is separated from man by too deep a chasm to exercise on him any action from the social point of view the problem was to learn what this humanity would do when restricted to man and obliged to extract from its own resources if not its food supplies yet at least all its pleasures all its occupations all its creative inspirations the answer has been given and we have realized at the same time what an unsuspected drag the terrestrial fauna and flora had hitherto been on the progress of humanity at first human pride and the faith of man in himself hitherto held in check by the constant presence by the profound sense of the superiority of the forces round it rebounded with a force of elasticity really appalling we are a race of titans but at the same time whatever enervating element there might have been in the air of our grottoes has been thereby victoriously combated otherwise our air is the purest that man has ever breathed all the bad germs with which the atmosphere was loaded were killed by the cold 
far from being attacked by anaemia as some predicted we live in a state of habitual excitement maintained by the multiplicity of our relations and of our social tonics friendly shakes of the hand talks meetings with charming women etc with a certain number among us it passes into a state of unintermittent delirium under the name of troglodytic fever this new malady whose microbe has not yet been discovered was unknown to our forefathers thanks perhaps to the stupefying or soothing if you prefer it influence of natural and rural distractions rural what a strange anachronism fishermen hunters ploughmen and shepherds do we really understand to-day the meaning of these words have we for a moment reflected on the life of that fossil creature who is so frequently mentioned in books of ancient history and who was called the peasant the habitual society of this curious creature which comprised half or three-quarters of the population was not man but four-footed beasts pot-herbs and green crops which owing to the conditions necessary for their production in the country yet another word which has become meaningless condemned him to live a wild solitary life far from his fellows as for his herds they were acquainted with the charms of social life but he had not the slightest inkling of what it meant the towns to which people were so astonished that there should be a desire to emigrate were the only centres rare and widely scattered as they were in which life in society was then known but to what extent does it not appear to have been adulterated and attenuated by animal and vegetable life another fossil peculiar to these regions is the artisan was the relation of the worker to his employer of the artisan class to the other classes of the population of these classes between themselves a really social relation not the least in the world certain sophists who were called economists and who were to our sociologists of to-day what the alchemists formerly were to the chemists or the astrologers to the astronomers had given credit it is true to this error that society essentially consists in an exchange of services from this point of view which moreover is quite out of date the social bond could never be closer than that between the ass and the ass-driver the ox and drover the sheep and the shepherd society we now know consists in the exchange of reflections mutually to ape one another and by dint of accumulated apings diversely combined to create an originality is the important thing reciprocal service is only an accessory that is why the urban life of former days being principally founded on the organic and natural rather than on the social relation of producer to consumer or of workman to employer was itself only a very imperfect kind of social life and accordingly the source of endless disagreements if it has been possible for us to realize the most perfect and the most intense social life that has ever been seen it is thanks to the extreme simplicity of our strictly so-called wants at a time when man was panivorous and omnivorous the craving for food was broken up into an infinity of petty ramifications 
Today it is confined to eating meat which has been preserved in the best of refrigerators. Within the space of an hour each morning, a single member of society, by the employment of our ingenious transport machinery, feeds a thousand of his kind. The need of clothing has been pretty nearly abolished by the softness of an ever-constant climate, and, we must also admit it, by the absence of silkworms and of textile plants. That would, perhaps, be a disadvantage, were it not for the incomparable beauty of our bodies, which lends a real charm to this grand simplicity of costume. Let us observe, however, that it is fairly customary to wear coats of asbestos spangled with mica, of silver interwoven and enriched with gold, in which the refined and delicate charms of our women appear as though moulded in metal rather than completely screened from view. This metallic iridescence with its infinite tints has a most delightful effect. These are, however, costumes that never wear out. How many clothiers, milliners, tailors and drapery establishments are thereby abolished at a single stroke? The need of shelter remains, it is true, but it has been greatly reduced. One is no longer obliged to sleep at Starlight Hotel. When a young man grows weary of the life in common which has hitherto sufficed him in the spacious working drawing-room of his fellows, and desires for matrimonial reasons to have a dwelling to himself, he has only to apply the boring machine somewhere against the rocky wall, and his cell is excavated in a few days. There is no rent, and few articles of furniture. The joint-stock furniture, which is magnificent, is almost the only one of which the pair of lovers make use. The quota of absolute necessities being thus reduced to almost nothing, the quota of superfluities has been able to be extended to almost everything. Since we live on so little, there remains abundant time for thought. A minimum of utilitarian work and a maximum of aesthetic is surely civilization itself in its most essential element. The room left vacant in the heart by the reduction of our wants is taken up by the talents, those artistic, poetic and scientific talents, which, as they day by day multiply and take deeper root, become really and truly acquired wants. They really spring, however, from a necessity to produce and not from a necessity to consume. I underline this difference. The manufacturer is ever toiling, not for his own pleasure, nor for that of the world about him, of his fellow men or his natural rivals, but for a society different from his own, on mutual terms, but that is immaterial. His work, therefore, constitutes a non-social, an almost antisocial relationship with those who are not of his kind, to the great hurt and hindrance of his relations with those who are. The increasing intensity of his work tends to accentuate and not to attenuate the dissimilarities between the different grades of society which act as an obstacle to the general reunion. We have clearly seen the truth of this in the course of the twentieth century of the ancient era, when the whole population was divided into trades unions of the different professions, which waged desperate warfare on one another and whose members in the bosom of each union hated one another as only brothers can. 
but for the scientist the artist the lover of beauty in all its forms to produce is a passion to consume is only a taste for every artist has a dilettante double but his dilettantism in respect to arts other than his own only plays by comparison a secondary part in his life the artist creates through sheer delight and he alone creates for such motives we can now comprehend the depth of the truly social revolution which was accomplished from the days when the aesthetic activity by dint of ever growing ended by vanquishing utilitarian activity henceforth in place of the relation of producer to consumer has been substituted as preponderating element in human dealings the relation of the artist to the art lover the ancient social ideal was to seek amusement or self-satisfaction apart and to render mutual service for this we substitute the following to be one's own servant and mutually to delight one another henceforward to insist once more society reposes not on the exchange of services but on the exchange of admiration or criticism of favourable or unfavourable judgments the anarchical regime of greed in all its forms has been succeeded by the autocratic government of enlightened opinion which has become supreme for our worthy ancestors deceived themselves finely when they persuaded themselves that social progress led to what they termed freedom of thought we have something better we possess the joy and the strength of the mind which attains a certainty of its own founded as it is on its only sure basis the unanimity of other minds on certain essential matters on this rock we can rear the highest constructions of thought nay the most gigantic systems of philosophy the error at present recognized of those ancient visionaries called socialists was their failure to see that this life in common this intense social life they dreamt of so ardently had for its indispensable condition the aesthetic life and the universal propagation of the religion of truth and beauty the latter assumes the drastic lopping off of numerous personal wants consequently in rushing as they did into an exaggerated development of commercial life they were marching in the opposite direction to their own goal they must have begun i am well aware by uprooting the fatal habit of eating bread which made man a slave to the tyrannical whims of a plant of beasts which were necessary for the manuring of this plant and of other plants which served as fodder for their beasts but as long as this unhappy craving was rampant and they refrained from combating it it was obligatory to abstain from arousing others which were not less antisocial that is to say not less natural it was far better to leave men at the plough-tail than to attract them to the factory for the dispersion and isolation of individualist types are more preferable to bringing them together which can only result in setting them by the ears but let us hurry on all the advantages for which we are indebted to our anti-natural position are now clear we alone have realized all the quintessence of refinement and reality 
of strength and of sweetness that the social life contains formerly here and there in a few rare cases in the midst of deserts an individual had certainly had a distant foretaste of this ineffable thing not to mention three or four salons in the eighteenth century under the ancient regime two or three painters studios one or two green rooms they represented in a way imperceptible cores of social protoplasm lost amid a mass of foreign matter but this marrow has become the entire bone at present our cities all in all are one vast workshop household and reception hall and this has happened in the simplest and most inevitable manner in the world following the law of separation of the old herbert spencer the selection of heterogeneous talents and vocations was bound to take place of its own accord in fact at the end of a century there was already underground in course of development and continuous excavation a city of painters a city of sculptors a city of musicians of poets of geometricians of physicists of chemists even of naturalists of psychologists of scientific or aesthetic specialists of every kind except strictly speaking in philosophy for we were obliged after several attempts to give up the idea of founding or maintaining a city of philosophers notably owing to the incessant trouble caused by the tribe of sociologists who are the most unsociable of mankind let us not forget by the way to mention the city of sappers we no longer speak of architects whose speciality is to work out the plans for excavating and repairing all our crypts and to direct the carrying out of the work by our machines quitting the hackneyed paths of former architecture they have created in every detail our modern architecture so profoundly original of which nothing could give an idea to our forefathers the public building of the ancient architect was a kind of massive and voluminous work of art it was entirely a thing by itself its exterior and especially its front occupied his attention far more than the inside for the modern architect the interior alone exists and each work is linked on to those which have gone before none stands by itself they are only an extension and ramification one of another an endless continuation like the epics of the east the work of the ancient architect with its misplaced individuality with its symmetry which gave it a mock air of being a living thing yet only rendered it more out of keeping with the surrounding landscape the more symmetrical and more skilfully designed it was produced the effect of a verse in prose or of a hackneyed theme in a fantasia its special function was to represent correctness coldness and stiffness amid the luxuriant disorder of nature and the freedom of the other arts but to-day instead of being the most tight-laced of the arts architecture is the freest and most wanton of them all it is the chief element of picturesqueness in our life its artificial and veritably artistic scenery lends to all the masterpieces of our painters and sculptors the horizon of its perspective the sky of its vaults 
the tangled vegetation of its innumerable colonnades whose shafts are a copy of the idealized trunk of all the antique essence of tree life whose capitals imitate the idealized form of all the antique flowers here is nature winnowed and perfected which has become human in order to delight humanity and which humanity has deified in order to shelter love beneath its shade this perfection has only been however attained after much groping in the dark many falls of rock occasioned by foolhardy excavations which unduly reduced the number of supports swallowed up whole towns during the first two centuries they will serve for our descendants as pompeii to rediscover at the least shock produced by earthquakes the only natural plague which engages our attention a few cases of crushing to death still occur here and there but such accidents are very rare to return to our subject each of our cities in founding colonies in the region round it has become the mother of cities similar to itself in which its own peculiar colour has been multiplied in different tints which reflect and render it more beautiful it is thus with us that nations are formed whose differences no longer correspond to geographical accidents but to the diversity of the social aptitudes of human nature and of nothing else nay more in each of them the division of cities is founded on that of schools the most flourishing of which at any given moment raises its particular town to the rank of capital thanks to the all-powerful favour of the public the beginnings and devolution of power questions which have so deeply agitated humanity of yore arise with us in the most natural way in the world there is always amid the crowd of our genius a superior genius who is hailed as such by the almost unanimous acclamation of his pupils at first and next of his comrades a man is judged in fact by his peers and according to his productions not by the incompetent or according to his electoral exploits in the light of the intimate sense of corporate life which binds and cements us one to another the elevation of such a dictator to the supreme magistracy has nothing humiliating about it for the pride of the senators who have elected him and who are the chiefs of all the leading schools they themselves have created the elector who is a pupil the elector who is an intelligent and sympathetic admirer identifies himself with the object of his choice now it is the particular characteristic of a geniocratic republic to be based on admiration not on envy on sympathy and not on dislike on enlightenment not on illusion nothing is more delightful than a tour through our domains our towns which are quite close to one another are severally connected by broad roads which are always illuminated and dotted with light and graceful monocycles with trains without smoke or whistle with pretty electric carriages which glide silently along like gondolas between walls covered with admirable bas-reliefs with charming inscriptions with immortal fancies the outpourings and accumulations of ten generations of wandering artists 
similarly one might have seen in the olden times the scanty remains of some convent where in the course of ages the monks had translated their weariness of spirit into grinning figures with hooded heads into beasts from the apocalypse clumsily sculptured on the capitals of the little pilasters or around the stone chair of the abbot but what a distance lies between this monkish nightmare and this artistic revelation at the very most the pretty little gallery which joined across the arno the museum of the pitti palace with that of the uffizi at florence could give our ancestors a faint idea of what we see if the corridors of our abode possess this wealth and splendour what shall we say of the dwelling-places or of the cities they are filled with heaps of artistic marvels of frescoes enamels gold and silver plate bronzes and pictures the acme and quintessence of musical emotions of philosophic conceptions of poetic dreams enough to baffle all description and weary all admiration we have difficulty in believing that the labyrinth of galleries subterranean palaces and marble catacombs all named and numbered whose manifold nomenclature recalls all the geography and history of the past have been excavated in so few centuries that is what perseverance can do however accustomed we may be to this extraordinary sight it still at times happens when wandering alone during the hours of the siesta in this sort of infinite cathedral with its irregular and endless architecture through this forest of lofty columns massive or in close formation displaying in turn the most diversified and grandiose styles egyptian greek byzantine arab gothic and reminiscent of all the vanished and venerated floras and faunas when it is not above all profoundly original it happens i repeat that panting and beside ourselves with ecstasy we come to a standstill like the traveller of yore when he entered the twilight of a virgin forest or of the pillared hall of karnak to those who on reading the ancient accounts of travels might perchance have regretted the wanderings of caravans across the deserts or the discoveries of new worlds our universe can offer boundless excursions under the atlantic and pacific oceans frozen to their very lowest depths venturesome explorers i was going to say discoverers have in every direction and in the easiest imaginable fashion honeycombed these immense ice-caps with endless passages much in the same way as the termites according to our paleontologists bored through the floors of our fathers we extend at will these fantastic galleries of crystal which wherever they cross one another form so many crystal palaces by casting on the walls a ray of intense heat which makes them melt we take good care to drain the water due to the liquefaction into one of those bottomless pits which here and there yawn hideously beneath our feet thanks to this method and the improvements it has undergone we have succeeded in cutting hewing and carving the solidified sea-water we are able to glide through it to manoeuvre in it to course through it on skates or velocipedes with an ease and agility that are always admired in spite of our being accustomed to it 
the severe cold of these regions is scarcely tempered by millions of electric lamps which are mirrored in these emerald green icicles with their velvet-like tints and renders a permanent stay impossible it would even prevent us crossing them if by good luck the earliest pioneers had not discovered in them crowds of seals which had been caught while still alive by the freezing of the waters in which they remain imprisoned their carefully prepared skins have furnished us with warm clothing nothing is more curious than thus suddenly to catch sight of as it were through a mysterious glass case one of these huge marine animals sometimes a whale a shark or a devilfish and that star-like flora which carpets the seas though appearing crystallized in its transparent prison in its elysium of pure brine it has lost none of its secret charm that was quite unknown to our ancestors idealized by its very lack of motion immortalized by its death it dimly shines here and there with gleams of pearl and mother-of-pearl in the twilight of the depths below to the right the left beneath the feet or above the head of the solitary skater who roams with his lamp on his forehead in pursuit of the unknown there is always something new to look forward to from these miraculous soundings so different from the soundings of former time never a tourist has come home without having discovered some interesting object a piece of wreckage the steeple of some sunken town a human skeleton to enrich our prehistoric museums sometimes a shoal of sardines or cod these splendid and timely reserves come in very handy for replenishing our bill of fare but the chief fascination of such adventurous exploration is the sense of the boundless and the everlasting of the unfathomable and the changeless by which one is arrested and overwhelmed in these bottomless depths the savour of this silence and solitude of this profound peace the sequel to so many tempests of this almost starless gloaming and twilight with its fleeting gleams reposes the eye after our underground illuminations i will not speak of the surprises which the hand of man has lavished there at the moment when one least expects it one sees the submarine tunnel along which one is gliding enlarged beyond all measure and transformed into a vast hall in which the fancy of our sculptors has found full play a temple of vast dimensions with transparent pillars with walls of enthralling beauty that the eye in ecstasy attempts to fathom that is often the trysting place of friends and lovers and the excursion begun in dreamy loneliness is continued in loving companionship but we have wandered long enough in these halls of mysteries let us return to our cities one would look by the by in vain for a city of lawyers there or even for a court of justice there is no more arable land and therefore no more lawsuits about property or ancient rights there are no more walls and therefore no more lawsuits about party walls as for felonies and misdemeanours we do not know exactly why but it is an obvious fact that with the spread of the cult of art they have disappeared as by enchantment 
while formerly the progress of industrial life had tripled their numbers in half a century man in becoming a town-dweller has become really human from the time that all sorts of trees and beasts of flowers and insects no longer interpose between men and all sorts of vulgar wants no longer hinder the progress of the truly human faculties every one seems to be born well-bred just as every one is born a sculptor or musician philosopher or poet and speaks the most correct language with the purest accent an indescribable courtesy skilled to charm without falsehood to please without obsequiousness the most free from fawning one has ever seen is united to a politeness which has at heart the feeling not of a social hierarchy to be respected but of a social harmony to be maintained it is composed not of more or less degenerate airs of the court but of more or less faithful reflections of the heart its refinement is such as the race who lived on the surface of earth never even dreamed of it permeates like a fragrant oil all the complicated and delicate machinery of our existence no unsociableness no misanthropy can resist it the charm is too profound the single threat of ostracism i do not say of expulsion to the realms above which would be a death sentence but of banishment beyond the limits of the usual corporate life is sufficient to arrest the most criminal natures on the slope of crime there is in the slightest inflection of voice in the least inclination of the head of our women a special charm which is not only the charm of former times whether roguish kindness or kindly roguishness but a refinement at once more exquisite and more healthful in which the constant practice of seeing and doing beautiful things or loving and being loved is expressed in an ineffable fashion End of chapter five